produced by the iLab at WBUR Boston. Welcome to Kind World. I'm Andrea Aswahe. And I'm Yasmin Ammer. Compassion, strength, selflessness. These are all characteristics we consider when we think of extraordinary leaders. But we don't really spend much time thinking about their struggles, the battles they're facing, and everything they have to put aside in order to help others. That's what this next story is about. It's told by Karen Given of WBUR and NPR's Only a Game. Three of the most important men in Cassandra Edwards' life are named Nate. I have Big Nate, who is my husband, Little Nate, and then Baby Nate. Cassandra's grandson, Baby Nate, is four years old now. Looks just like his father at that age. Acts just like his father at that age. And I did say to him, I said, you remind me so much of your daddy. He said, but Nana, my my daddy's dead. I said, but your daddy's in you, you know? And he just hugged me. He said, it's okay, Nana. It's okay. Cassandra and her husband raised their son in Spring Valley, a majority-minority suburb of New York City. Little Nate grew to be six foot eight, And in 2016, he got a scholarship to play basketball at a junior college in San Diego. And as a mom, were you like, oh, that's really far away from where I am? No, because I just wanted him, uh, to be honest with you, I wanted him to be out of our environment here and be exposed to something different. So for me, it was a safe haven for him to get away. But that safe haven couldn't protect Nate Edwards from what was to come. Just six weeks before the end of the school year, Cassandra would learn that her son had died, leaving behind his girlfriend, Amber Kodecker, and two sons, baby Nate, who was two at the time, and Dallas, just eight months old. When Cassandra Edwards met with the president of San Diego City College, she had one request. I want to be able to tell my son's story. I don't want anyone else to do that. I want to tell his story because I think he's going to help save many lives. But in the late summer of 2018, a student video project started getting a lot of buzz. Aspiring journalist and current SDSU student David Pradell spent much of his time at San Diego City College Cassandra wasn't happy. No, I wasn't happy at all. I didn't know who he was. And I didn't know what his agenda was. The documentary project was linked to a GoFundMe account that claimed to be raising money to send Nate's children to college. But nobody had told Cassandra about this. Nobody had set up a trust in her grandson's names. How could she be sure the money would end up where it belonged? Cassandra needed answers, so she called up the student filmmaker. His name is David Pradell. And we, you know, talked on the phone, and I told her, you know, everything. And it turns out this kid is just as innocent as he wants to be. The story Cassandra heard that day not only changed the way she saw David and his video project, it also changed the way she remembers her son. But before we go any further, I need to warn you, we're going to explore the subject of suicide. This story might not be for everyone. The story begins in the summer of 2016. David Prudell was headed into his final year studying broadcast journalism at San Diego City College. I started to 
get overwhelmed mentally and and physically I wasn't in the right uh, mindset. David had experienced anxiety and depression since high school. But that summer, his symptoms intensified. He started questioning everything he'd been doing for the past three years. Had he picked the right major? Was he talented enough to make a career out of it? Or had he just wasted his time? Irrational thoughts took over every aspect of David's life. To the point where I couldn't really eat. You know, I lost 30 pounds coming into my final year at City College. David's not a big guy, so when he suddenly lost 30 pounds, people noticed. I told my professor that I just had a a stomach flu and I was a little sick over the summer and, and I kind of brushed it off that it wasn't really anything serious. But was it serious? I mean, were you thinking of harming yourself? Uh, Yeah, I got to a point where, you know, I did have these thoughts of suicide, and I didn't think there was another option. David spent the first few weeks of the semester just going through the motions, attending classes, working on assignments, but he says his heart wasn't in it. Then along came October and the beginning of the basketball preseason. Basketball is David's favorite sport, so he figured maybe he could find motivation to produce a season preview for his school newscast. So I did it, even though, you know, deep down I was struggling a bit. Their energy on the court when I was there, you know, was a little bit inspiring in a way to actually push myself and, you know, make a good video for the Friday newscast. We all have the right work ethic. You see guys behind me in here getting shots up. Guys are afterwards getting shots up. David posted some photos of that practice on social media. About a week later, he got a message from Nate Edwards. It was just a couple of lines on Twitter, thanking David for sharing the photos, telling him that he'd done a good job. Nate probably didn't think twice about sending it, but David says in that moment, it was exactly what he needed to hear. It felt good to get that support from a player who, you know, is like my age and, you know, not a professor or a coach. David kept covering the basketball team. He even interviewed Nate. And what's the number one strength you think the team has right now that's going into the, into the next round? Our defense and our depth. You know, we, we, we're super deep. We got good chemistry. And, and we love playing with each other. Everybody loves each other and we play great deep. We, we week by week, the team improved. And so did David. You know, just the energy and the love that they had for each other during this time was infectious and motivating and I used that to apply that to my classroom work and making the effort to be healthy. David Pradell might not have felt this way, like he could draw energy from the team's success, if not for Nate Edwards, who always made David feel like he was part of the team. David says Nate's biggest basketball contributions came from the bench, where he was constantly supporting and encouraging his teammates. And David felt that support and encouragement beyond the gym. You know, every time I would post a photo on Instagram or or post something on Twitter, he would be like the first like. Do you think he knew you were going through a hard time? Uh, No, I don't think so. So he's just this nice to everyone? Yeah, I think... uh, You know, if you're on his team, you know, you're on his side, he's going to take care of you. Nate's teammates noticed his kindness, too. One time I remember uh, I was walking up 
to go to school. This is from an interview David recorded with Jameer Mitchell, who was a sophomore on the team. I had ran into Nate and I was like, he was like, where are you going? I'm like, I'm about to get something to eat at McDonald's. And I was like, I only got $2 on. He was like, man, you want something to eat? I'm like, yeah, I said I'm about to go to McDonald's, I only got $2. He's like, do you, do you want something to eat? So we walked down to the taco shop. He's like, get what you want, man. And he got me whatever I wanted. Whatever you need, he'll go through, he'll go through hell and back, really, you know what I'm saying? Just to get, just make sure you're all right. David says Nate was the biggest reason why the team came together. They played with love, and they believed that was what carried them through an undefeated conference schedule and into the playoffs. And, you know, San Diego City College won the state title, the first title in 66 years. So So as a journalist, you must have thought, oh, I have my Cinderella ending. This is just perfect, right? Yeah, yeah. It was the perfect ending. (laughs) When the team returned to San Diego, local news stations thought so too. My name is Nate Edwards from Spring Valley, New York. And you're you're holding the trophy. What's it like to hold a championship trophy? It's, it's just it's just everything. It just it still ain't even really hit me that we stay championship. Because once it hits me, it's gonna really hit me that it's over with them. Like they said, we brothers. We we love each other. Like ain't nobody else I would rather go through this with than these fifteen guys. This is fantastic. Nate was offered a scholarship to a four-year school, Western Colorado State. From his mom's vantage point, 3,000 miles away, it seemed like things were falling into place. They had set him up, you know, an apartment and childcare for the kids and a job for Amber. I mean, everything was just perfect. It just was perfect. So that's why it became even more of a shock. On the night of April 17, 2017, Nate called his mom. He was upset. He and Amber had gotten into a fight. Nate and Cassandra talked for a while. Nate told her that he was going to a teammate's house for the night. Cassandra told him that she was going to sleep, that she'd talk to him in the morning. And the phone rang at 4.36 our time, and it was um, the sheriff. And they said they needed to you know, informed me that they found my son. And I'm like, found my son? You found him where? And I said, apparent suicide. I just said, no. All I could do is just scream. It just was shock. You don't imagine that that's a phone call you're going to get. Most people get phone calls that somebody's murdered their child. You don't get a phone call that your child commits suicide. It's not a, a phone call in our community that you're used to getting because it's just something that we don't talk about or we don't acknowledge. Or you don't even identify that your child is depressed or could be leading toward that type of action. It wasn't until after her son was gone that Cassandra realized how much he had been struggling every day. Looking back now, Cassandra believes it was all connected, her son's kindness and his depression. Part of him calling out for help was helping others, not knowing how to get help for himself. A little less than a year ago, NBA All-Star DeMar DeRozan tweeted about his own struggle with depression. It led to a wider conversation about athletes and mental health and how the culture of sports makes it difficult for athletes to admit when they need help. 
But that conversation came too late for Nate Edwards. After she got the call from the sheriff, Cassandra looked at her phone and discovered one last message from her son. And in his last text, he said to me, he said, Mommy, even if they put me on medication, he said, the medication is going to just make me act different. And he says, I don't want people to see me different. And if I could have had the conversation with him, I could have said to him, but we could work that out. You know, the medication doesn't have to define you. You define who you are just as long as we get you help. But I didn't have the opportunity to say that to him. Cassandra Edwards wasn't the only one left with things unsaid. David Pradell felt that way, too. He made me believe in myself at a time where I didn't believe in myself. I never told Nate how I appreciated it all and never really said thank you to him. I started to think, what can I do to save his memory? And then I thought about making a documentary about the whole season and about the team and about Nate. David figured he could use the documentary to raise money, a college fund, for Nate's two sons. It was hard, interviewing Nate's teammates about their loss, worrying about whether he could really do anything to help Nate's family. A year went by. Some of those old, irrational thoughts and insecurities came back. But this time, David decided not to keep those thoughts to himself. He shared them with Nate's coach. And with the coach's encouragement, David started seeing a mental health professional. In the fall of 2018, David finally released his documentary. In it, Nate's teammate Alex Wilborn describes what it was like to get the news that Nate was gone. It just hurt because he was always like the person to me that was so positive. Whenever I had a problem, he helped me through it. David says he had also planned to interview Nate's girlfriend, Amber, and reach out to his mom, Cassandra. But when it came time, David just couldn't bring himself to do it. When Cassandra learned that a student filmmaker she'd never heard of had released a documentary about her son, she was worried. But it didn't take long for her to understand David's motivations. David said, this is the least I could do to say thank you to him. David Pradell is still seeing a therapist. And when Cassandra Edwards came out to California to see her grandsons over the holidays, she and David spent a couple days together. You know, David said something really sweet to me. He said he used to draw his energy and he used to get support and encouragement from Nate. But now he says he feels like he's getting it from you. Yeah, you know what? I think... As much as something is taken away, God always tends to fill the void. And I think, to a large degree, as much as my son is gone in body, little Nate is also saying, Mommy, you have a responsibility to David. And I don't ever want to be in a position to know that somebody's hurting and I didn't have an opportunity to encourage him or to say, you know what, it's okay not to be okay. See, I couldn't say that to my son. So that's my relationship with David at this point is making sure that he always feels confident to know that it's okay not to be okay. I do encourage those that need to get professional help to get professional help because that's why we have professionals. 
right? But I also say sometimes it just takes smiling at someone or giving them a hug or being an ear to listen. There's so many other aspects of humanity that can bring life into people. That story was by Karen Given from WBUR and NPR's Only a Game. If you or somebody you know might need help, the National Suicide Prevention Line is available 24-7 at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. We'll be back with more Kind World after the break. The world's clean energy future relies on ancient elements still in the ground. Without mining, there will not be a clean energy transition. But pulling them out of the ground comes at an environmental and human cost. Mining is intrusive, but the results are the building blocks for products that we use every single day. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Join me on point for Elements of Energy, Mining for a Green Future, five special episodes. Listen and follow On Point wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Kind World. I'm Andrea Aswahe. And I'm Yasmin Amr. Andrea, Nate and David's story reminds me that we don't always know what's going to ease our pain during an ongoing struggle. Yeah, when you're dealing with hardship day after day, it might seem like you can't catch a break. I have a story about a man who knows that feeling all too well. His name is Izzy Paskowitz, and he lives in Orange County, California. 26 years ago, Izzy's son, Isaiah, was diagnosed with autism. As a child, Isaiah was nonverbal and expressed atypical behaviors that were hard for his family to handle. And, and, and for me, there was, a, there was a lot of struggle for, you know, the next um, five years of, of, you know, my personal acceptance. I was a professional surfer. So he felt as though he would never be able to fully relate to his son through the sport that he loves. Autism research was nowhere near what it is now. So what were they able to do for their son back then? Once Isaiah was diagnosed, Izzy and his wife Danielle tried everything to help him, even dolphin therapy. Dolphin therapy? Yeah. Remember, this was in the early 90s and treatments for autism were still experimental. This person swore up and down that Isaiah would be cured if he rode on the dorsal fin of a dolphin. That didn't work. And it was one of many alternative therapies that depleted the family's funds. That's just horrible. But I can also imagine how desperate the family was to find something that would help their son. And they didn't really have much to go on. Exactly. Izzy and his wife were feeling as if they were running out of options. Then, when Isaiah was around five years old, Izzy and his family were in Hawaii for a surfing event. So the next day we went to the, to the contest and he's, he's flipping out. So I, I take him and I just chuck him in the water just to, to snap something out of him. And when he, when he popped up, he was giggling. Whoa, so had he ever had a reaction like that to the water? So this was very unusual, but Izzy noticed in the past that the water seemed to calm Isaiah somehow. So he tested his idea the only way he knew how, by getting Isaiah on a surfboard. And we paddled out and we rode a few waves together and he was blissful. We connected, you know, however way we did. We were in the water, we were surfing together, and that was good enough. 
I can't even imagine how Izzy must have felt after years of struggling to connect with his son. And they finally connected through the very thing he loves. And it was the magic of that moment that inspired Izzy to start a surf camp for children with autism. It's called Surfer's Healing. Izzy and his team of professional surfers travel around the world hosting the day-long camps for children of all ages. They take the kids out on the water and surf in tandem with them. So the children are safe and having fun and experiencing something new and unique. And best of all, the families pay nothing for the experience. I wanted to do something to give back. And I wanted to do something that kept me mentally and physically um, healthy and healthy enough to take a resistant child out in the water and ride waves until joy exuded from their bodies. Izzy says that hundreds of children show up to surf, so much so that there's often a wait list. And at each camp, families connect and find support in their own communities from parents who understand what they're going through. There's a lot of relationships made at Surfers Healing that are lifelong because nobody knows my life like that parent. I can tell that it's just as much about community and support as it is about the feeling of being in the water. So has Izzy's community grown since he started Surfers Healing almost 25 years ago? Izzy now has surf camps across the U.S., New Zealand, Australia, and Mexico. And the demand just keeps growing. And Izzy says that he owes all the success of Surfers Healing to his son. I'm so grateful for the gift that he's given me because I have the most unique life. And I get to share that with, you know, thousands of people. And so I love my autism family. Isaiah is 28 now. He lives with his parents since he needs their care and supervision every day, and he still has difficulty communicating. But now, Isaiah has friends just like him, and he loves to draw. And of course, he's still surfing. Thank you to Izzy Paskowitz of Surfers Healing for speaking to us this week. Learn more about Surfers Healing on their website, surfershealing.org, or on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Surfers Healing. Kind World is a production of WBUR, Boston's NPR station. Paul Vikas and Matt Reed do our sound design. Sabrina Delmonico is our intern and assisted with our story on Surfers Healing. And Iris Adler is our executive producer. I'm reporter and producer Yasmin Amr. And I'm reporter and producer Andrea Aswahe. Has someone changed your life for the better? We love to hear your story. Email us at kindworld at wbur.org or message us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. We're at WBUR Kind World. And if you're looking for even more positivity, check out our weekly newsletter, The Care Package, your weekly dose of good news delivered straight to your inbox every Saturday morning. Sign up on our webpage, wbur.org slash kindworld. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.